This is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome to another Seattle Sports at Night. I'm Stacey Rost here with Jake Heaps. A lot to break down on this Thursday. Yeah, there's a lot going on, Stacey. Weather's still good. That's number one on my list. Yeah, absolutely. I was concerned. The weather the weather app lies. I know. Because it was after today, it was supposed to not be sunny anymore. It's kind of cooled down a little bit. I'm not mad at it. No, I'm definitely happy about it. I like it. <laughs> Makes me excited for March Madness. we got a lot going on. Did you fill out your bracket yet? We've been talking about this for the longest time. You didn't, did you? I may or may not Come currently on. be filling out my bracket right now. As I'm talking? Yes. I was wondering why you were looking down. <laughs> What's going on? You're just copying mine. Just admit it. You're right. You're right. Well, I was just I was just admiring the fact that you had this incredible handwriting. It's like, guys, it's literally perfect. I'm not going to lie. I printed out uh Jake thought I was filling out multiple brackets. <laughs> but it turns out I was filling the same answers, but I just I had to do it without messing up my penmanship because that it just irks me. Might go on the side of OCD. A little bit, a little but I'm bit. fine with it. I'm she fine. She had with like, it. guys, she had like 12 like 12 Printed out twelve. It brackets doesn't matter. And then out. just Virginia, and one was prepared. like, "I forgot the second I," and then I'm like, "Nope, throw it away." I'm sorry, Earth. I'm sorry. You're the problem. Well, while we're on the topic of March Madness, let's get into it with the timeline. Washington head coach Mike Hopkins, who's agreed to a new six-year contract. Yes. With the Huskies. This fired me up this morning, Stacy. I was super excited to hear about Coach Hopkins. And his extension, well-deserved. Uh, and, and my biggest concern is that as great of a job as he has done, uh, he was the next heir apparent for Syracuse. I mean, this mm-hmm. is the guy that is, when you talk about a, a hot coaching name, and there are plenty of um, flagship schools in terms of college basketball, this is a guy that attracts those kind of schools, you know. And, and you know, do you lose him, lose him to a UCLA potentially uh, down the road? That question is now answered. He is solidified as the head coach at the University of Washington for college basketball and going to bring great stability to this program for years to come. We'll we'll break this down later on and what the signing really means, but gosh, I, I am so thrilled to have him locked in here at the University of Washington. Great news for Washington. Speaking of Washington, the UW Huskies will take on Utah State tomorrow. It's already coming up I know. in a few hours. I can't It's already wait. almost tomorrow. It's crazy. It's crazy, right? Tip-off uh, will be at 3.50 p.m., and both teams are making their first trip to the tourney since 2011. March Madness. So both of these teams, obviously, are going to come in you know, with everything that they got. Uh, it's an incredible environment for them and, and big accomplishment. And the fact that both of these teams haven't gotten in since 2011 is pretty remarkable. Yeah. Um, so the, the cool thing is, is that this is going to be a fantastic matchup. Uh, Utah State is a really tough team. They play great defense. They've got uh, a really good scorer. Uh, this is going to be a tough one for the Huskies. But I've said this before multiple times that I believe the Huskies play up and down to their opponent. Uh, and and I think that in the NCAA tournament, with the messaging that Mike Hopkins is giving this team, I think they're going to come out. They're going to play loose. They're going to play hard. And hopefully you get one or two guys that have an unbelievable night and get hot. This new bracket that I did, yeah. Uh, when we talked about and first previewed this uh, Monday, mm-hmm. I or Tuesday, I said that I did not take Washington beating Utah State. 
Yep. Not because I didn't think they'd put up a challenge and, and would be able to uh, shore up their, their offense to kind of keep pace with their defense, but Utah State is just one of the hottest teams in the tourney. They've won their last 10 straight. In this one, I took Washington. Mm. I know. Going I felt, against it, you know, huh? No, no, you know what it was? It was pure, what? pure pressure. Really? I, was, I posted it on Twitter, and I didn't want to not have Washington there <laughs> if I was putting it on Twitter. It's a lie. <laughs> this is a bold face lie. More Pac-12 news. Arizona State beat St. John 74-65. They'll advance. Uh, it was their first. This is insane. This was from Doug Holler with The Athletic in Arizona. This was uh, Arizona State's first NCAA tournament win since James Harden left school. Really? Yeah, I didn't know that. Wow. That's, I know. That's incredible. Uh, you know, it, it's great for the Pac-12 first and foremost. Uh, anytime the Pac-12 can get any any wins in this situation. So we'll be rooting heavily for Arizona State, yeah. Oregon, and Washington uh, because of the reputation that the Pac-12 currently has. Um, so any wins that we can get in the NCAA tournament for the conference is big. That's the thing. I always hear kind of you you wouldn't root for the conference. It's not true school spirit or whatever. But in this case, root for the conference, man. It was, it was a rough year and yes. all the better for Washington the further along Pac-12 schools get. Uh, they'll advance to play number six Buffalo also on Friday in Oklahoma. Um, more basketball news. I have been told to tell you that former BYU Cougar Jimmer Fredette Let's assigned, go. has signed with the Phoenix Suns. Yes. I'm also supposed to tell you, purely non-biased news, that he's the best shooter in college basketball <laughs> history. Jake, what yes. do you have to say about this? Well, this might not have come on everybody's timeline, but certainly came on Oh, it on came on mine. I have this right here. Okay, good, because this is a big deal. Uh, I'm really excited. You know, Jimmer and I, we, we knew each other from our time at BYU. Uh, one, of, one of the most fun and entertaining college basketball players uh, during his time. And just, you know, he's a f- high first-round pick, Sacramento Kings. It didn't work out. They just... It was just odd just not being able to use such a potent offensive score, but the NBA hadn't really changed its model mm-hmm. and embraced the three-point game like it has with Golden State now. So uh, he goes over to China, uh, drops like 50 to 60 points a game, gets dubbed the lonely master. He's the master at the very top. That's what the Chinese people called him. Uh, and now gets another opportunity to return. And Jimmer always said that he wouldn't leave his China, his. Uh, his Chinese team, the, uh, the Chinese Sharks, is that what they were? I can't remember. I think it was Shanghai Sharks. Shanghai Sharks. There you go. Shanghai Sharks. He wouldn't leave them unless it was a great opportunity where it was going to be a good fit. And clearly he thought that the Phoenix Suns was going to be that. So I'm excited for that and can't wait to watch the highlights of him dropping threes. I'm happy for night. you. Yes, we watched. You. <laughs> One of us was forced to watch a video of uh, Jimmer Fredette highlights. Well, well she said... Who? She said, Jimmer, I'm not who? Gonna, I'm, I'm not ashamed of that. I, no, you, you shouldn't be, but I, w- I just was appalled. So I, I, I had to. I had well, to, and Brent was. My, my editor you. and Jake sitting on either side of me. One laughs at me. The other says, open YouTube right now. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't laugh at you. No, they, it was Brent. It was Brent laughed at me. Opened YouTube. And then you have that nightmare situation where it's your YouTube history and someone's watching videos over your shoulder. And, and it's all, <laughs> it's Game, all of Game of Thrones theory videos of like, I don't know, who is this person? Will this person die? And I wanted to be like, don't look. I wish it would have been anything else. I didn't realize how much of a nerd you were until that moment. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Jumping to the NFL, Tampa Bay Buccaneers head coach Bruce Arians hired two female coaches. One will be an assistant D-line coach and another an assistant strength and conditioning coach. Mm, okay. I, I, I like this by Bruce Arians. I, I think that uh, 
it's it's great. If you are qualified for the job, mm-hmm. you're qualified for the job. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And so I, I think that Bruce Arians is definitely helping pave the way. There have been other female coaches that have been hired in the NFL um, from time to time, and it's just an interesting trend. It's very cool to see that you know females are passionate about the game, that want want to be a part of the game so much so that they are – now establishing themselves as coaches as referees i think it's a very cool thing um and so we'll see we'll see where this trend goes if there's going to continue to be more and more um or if it's just going to be isolated here and there but uh i mean hats hats off to bruce arians in in that situation and we'll jump into this uh, a bit later coming up at eight o'clock when we talk about some general nfl trends we've got some some things we're excited about, some things we're concerned about. It'll be interesting. I yeah. haven't actually had a conversation like this before, so I'm excited about it. And last but certainly not least, what's probably the biggest Seattle sports news today is Ichiro Suzuki announcing his retirement last night slash this morning uh, during the Mariners' win over the Oakland Athletics. We'll have Lydia Cruz in here next to break that down for us, but that was an emotional moment for a lot of people. It was emotional. It was awesome. And for all of those that were completely bashing the fact that Ichiro was going on this trip, uh, our own Curtis Rogers, uh, this is a pure example as to why it was so great and why it was the right move. And ultimately, they handled it the right way. The Mariners did, and also Ichiro as well. Ichiro didn't make it awkward for the Mariners to have to uh, essentially cut an icon. Um, you know, he ended on on a high note. And I, I'm, it was, it, it hit me more than I, I expected. That's the thing is anyone under 35 and <clears throat> obviously anyone over it has also been a huge fan if you're a Mariners fan, but anyone under 35, Ichiro has been a part of uh, sports history and your sports uh, your sports childhood, sports childhood yeah. uh, for the better part of your life. So Mina, it was Mina, <laughs> Mina Kimes. She, uh, uh, she, she tweeted out a uh, picture of just a still of Ken Griffey Jr. and Ichiro hugging, yeah. and she said, "She said my childhood," uh, and that, and it's true. I mean, I mean it's that true. moment, That's that moment was incredible. So. Uh, I mean, hats off to the Mariners and Ichiro for handling this thing the right way. We're going to talk about that, too, with Lydia Cruz coming up next on Seattle Sports at Night. Live from the Alaska Airlines studio, this is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Seattle Sports at Night. I'm Stacey Rost here with Jake Heaps, and we have a revisiting guest, Lydia Cruz. Just can't shake me. Can't get rid of me. No. I won't leave. It was certainly something seeing Ichiro come off the field for the last time to a round of applause from fans in Tokyo. It was it was something else. I mean, I know that here he means a lot to Seattle sports. And we're going to take a trip down memory lane a little bit in this segment later. But seeing what he means to a Japanese audience, um, to all the fans there in the Tokyo Dome, and even seeing uh, Kikuchi kind of very... I don't know, uh, nervously, very, very kind of sad and upset, mm-hmm. um, say goodbye after. There was a lot of emotion from uh, Ichiro's teammates, Felix Hernandez, Dee Gordon. Um, Even it was, across the field uh, in the other dugout, yeah. Bob Melvin, his former manager, and yeah. I- Ichiro commenting about how important he was to him. Yeah, I think there, I saw a great tweet from Cespedes Barbecue, who works with MLB and puts mm-hmm. out of a lot of fun content, but Ichiro is the single most beloved baseball player of all time because of his worldwide international yeah. scope. More people love Ichiro than any other baseball player. It's pretty crazy in to history, think about. Which it's, is nuts. 
It's wild. No, we have uh, D. Gordon was uh, one of the several Mariners who spoke about Ichiro after the game and had this to say about why Ichiro's his favorite player. The first day I met him, I was starstruck. He's my favorite player. Literally my favorite player. The first day I seen him play, my dad made me watch him. Since then, I've been infatuated with him. uh, To get to play with him and be as close to him as we are, it's a real feeling. It's really something else. Starting that career out in, what was it, 92 then joining the MLB in 2001. Yeah. Um, yeah. For a lot of these players, they've been watching Ichiro their entire lives. And for some of them, he started his career um, at least overseas when before they were born. Yeah, exactly. You mentioned you mentioned Yusei Kikuchi, and he was one year old, just barely 12 months when uh, Ichiro debuted in the NPB. And then he was nine years old when he debuted in MLB. And now at 27 years old, he gets to make his first major league start in the same game where Ichiro retires in their home country. Mm-hmm. No wonder he's so emotional because exactly this was his childhood hero and he is for a lot of, he was for a lot of people. Jake, what was it like for you to see him come off the field as well? Did you have a similar feeling of Yeah, it was it was emotional. It actually was surprising how emotional it was for me because I I you kind of forget because of the time Ichiro spent away from the Mariners um and and kind of the disconnect that happened from that time, but uh, him being back in a Mariners uniform uh, and, and all the great years that we were able to have with Ichiro and the time, the spectacular things that he did, um, a lot of my baseball memories are Ichiro. And going to the games and watching Ichiro and the iconic, you know, um, you know, uh, the, the bat being pointed at the, mm-hmm. at the pitcher and, and, you know, lifting up his, you know, his right sleeve and his, you know, his warm-up routine, his stretching routine, uh, when he was next at bat and being able to routinely make infield hits, base hits. I, I mean, it was incredible. I mean, this guy was so unique on so many levels. And to, you know, to finally the game, Ichiro was walking away from the game. You just really appreciate everything that he gave to the Mariners. And it's really cool to see, you know, the impact, like you mentioned, Lydia, that he had on not only Major League Baseball, but baseball worldwide. Yeah, yeah, the next generation of baseball players, absolutely. All those people, as D. Gordon said, that looked up to him, that have been infatuated with him. Actually, earlier on Brock and Salk, earlier this morning, they asked what one word really sticks out. You said iconic, Jake, and that was I think that was Kyle Brown's pick for word. Uh, Brock, Kyle Brown? Yes, Brock chose discipline. That's the That's, one word I mean, that he yeah. associates with Ichiro over the years. I cheated Dedication? and took two words oh and said habitual excellence oh but they're great words together together they're even better hyphenate it (laughs) yeah my favorite high school teacher always said that excellence is a habit and therefore you have to consistently work at it and to me he embodies that he Mm -hmm. was the person that was you mentioned he has this routine he had he would go to work and every single day relentlessly committed to his craft well i think what makes him so unique among players is that kind of ken griffey jr uh, a way to permeate audiences that that don't even watch sports. Um, it's not just a sports figure. It's someone who is part of pop culture, is part of uh, a local community. Yeah. Um, and not just in Seattle, obviously in Japan as well. Let's face uh, When it. he was with New York. I mean, it, it, again, it's part of like a, a face of a league kind of career. As soon as you get to one name status. Come on. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. you, you've elevated. You know that it's a big deal when people who 
did not grow up. I did not grow up watching a lot of sports. I did not grow up as a sports fan. Mm-hmm. I kind of liked it, but I didn't really know anything about it. And I still would tell you like the. I mean, we still played pretend when we were little with like the batting stance and and pointing the bat. Like that was something that I knew as someone who couldn't name more than one Seattle Mariner when I was younger. Right. And uh, so, I mean, again, I, I watch now. I'm a sports fan now. But that was something that um, I think crossed some barriers into all kinds of communities. 100%. The, the style of play that he had, too, was incredible. Uh, you know, being a pure hitter, a guy that could spray the ball all over the place, um, and not only from a strategic hitting standpoint, but also if he wanted to hit with power, he could hit with power. I think that was one of the coolest things was watching him in BP is you, you hear about Ichiro and, and getting all the hits, but then when you go to BP and watch him and he just starts letting it go, he's spraying the ball all over, hitting home runs, and the guy absolutely had power. He just didn't – that wasn't his style. That's not what he wanted to do. He wanted to get on base – um, and be that ultimate team player. You know, the other thing is his incredible speed, just like we talked about before. Um, you know, I'll never forget, I was actually at the uh, All-Star game when it was in Seattle yeah. uh, where he had that infamous inside-the-park home run. Epic. I mean, just Great inc- call. Yeah. <laughs> incredible, right? Uh, his amazing right arm, the strength that he could make, you know, throwing guys out from – uh, right field to third base to home plate. The uh, Dave Niehaus, Terrence Long call. Yes. Something out of Star Wars that will live in Seattle sports history for all time. It, I get goosebumps mm-hmm. when I hear it, and I have a couple times today because of the the replaying the audio. Things. But yeah, finding, totally, yeah, you're right, Jake. He it was it was very it was different elements. He he had he could hurt you. You know, he was not fun to play against as an opponent for several different reasons. We're going to talk a bit later uh, in this show about all the ways that the NFL has changed. Um, But what his legacy makes me think of is all the way that just our access to uh, sports figures has changed over time. Does it mean, I mean, we have access in ways that we've never had before. Um, Athletes are, they tweet, they speak directly with people. They, they're able to write their own articles and they're able to have, blogs and they're able to to reach out through podcasts and you find out all kinds of information some of which you wish you didn't know if you're a fan um about about stuff that would have been brushed under the rug you know 20 30 years ago but but all of this comes together to where it it really is uh it makes me curious if if fans or the mlb will ever see stars like that again stars that become legends because that really is kind of the folklore of sports it's what makes people fall in love with sports is these people that seem bigger than life. Um, but I don't, I don't know if that can happen again. Can it? And Ichiro kind of transcends that model that you mentioned though, because yeah. he throughout his career still speaks through an interpreter, although he is so smart, has knows English, speaks English with a lot of his teammates, mm-hmm. but he's just chosen that route of I'm going to control my message or my interaction with the media, I think it's very well thought out. Mm-hmm. And But then again, he also makes himself accessible to fans and is very personable. There was great videos of him signing autographs. Yeah. But when you mention the current state of athletes in America, it is a lot about self-promotion and tweeting. And, and Ichiro kind of defied that model. He, he did. And, that's, and I think that adds to the legend of Ichiro, uh, quite honestly, is that he wasn't out there as much, and so this iconic figure, this legendary figure who just was different than everybody else in his approach in every single way, 
uh, really mysterious. Yeah, he wasn't he wasn't accessible and he was mysterious, like you said, Lydia. And I think that's part of the cool part of Ichiro, especially from an American point of view, is you have this player from Japan who has this incredible discipline, has, you know, is extremely habitual through everything he does. And he's not going to overextend himself. It was like it was like uh, seeing a samurai, you know, just the way he was and the honor that he carried himself through. Uh, it just kind of reminds me of that that aura, that feel, um, and it's very it's very cool. I mean, I rem- I read an article uh, the other day just talking about the reverence that Ichiro has for his bats and the great care that he took. Oh, was for that his where bats. he like noticed when someone had moved it like an inch, right? Yeah, I mean, he he knew exactly where his instruments were, and mm-hmm. and he you know he used them. He said, "Why wouldn't I? These are my this is my tool. I take care of my tools and." Breaking bats and throwing bats down, uh, you're not taking your care of your tools. You, in, mm-hmm. you know, his infamous quote is, uh, you know, you don't see carpenters throwing down their best hammer. And, you know, and, and so just the little details of all those things mattered a great deal to Ichiro. That's the only argument yeah. against a bat flip I will ever <laughs> accept. And it has to be from Ichiro. It can be from yeah. no one else. Well, I'll just add on to that really quickly, that story that I heard from King Griffey Jr., who was in attendance for Ichiro's final game, which only seems appropriate, a Hall of Famer to future Hall of Famer, giving him a hug as he came off the field. But also Griffey commenting and was asked after that, speaking of his habitual nature, was asked, um, are you surprised Ichiro is going to work out on his first day of retirement? Because Ichi had mentioned that in his post-game press conference on what's next for him. Well, I'm just going to work out and continue to go about doing my business and mm-hmm. being who I am. And uh, Griffey said, no, that doesn't surprise me. Um, <laughs> I went to his house for dinner the other night and uh, he ate, went and worked out, came back and then had dessert with me. Uh, he left me in the kitchen for like 35 minutes. So I just looked at him like he was crazy. Did you ever see that Onion title that was like, um, co-workers can't get to fax machine. Ichiro has been stretching there for 20 minutes or whatever. That sounds about right. It's, yeah. it's pretty perfect. Lydia, thank you so much for joining us. Thank You've been you awesome. I thank appreciate you. your habitual excellence that you bring to our thank baseball you. segments thank you. with Curtis out. Thank you so much. Next up. Me and Jake are going to talk about Mike Hopkins and his new six-year contract with UW uh, Basketball, what that means for the program. That's next on Seattle Sports at Night. You're listening to Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Seattle Sports at Night. I am Stacey Rost here with Jake Heaps. We're going to talk some, some college sports. Your forte... That's right. <laughs> uh, this happens to do with uh, with UW Hoops. Mike Hopkins, head coach of UW Basketball, UW Men's Basketball, today agreed to a new six-year contract with Washington. This comes just a day before Washington is set to play in its first NCAA men's tournament game since 2011. Brock and Salk earlier today, uh, talking about the news when it broke, had some interesting things to say. Brock said, uh, obviously, it's good news. It keeps Mike Hopkins from leaving for another program. You mentioned earlier when we were doing our timeline segment to open the show that he would be an ideal candidate for a program like Syracuse and was essentially kind of the leader in waiting there. Yeah. Salk said, it makes you dub a real program. One of my favorite quotes of the morning that I plan to give him a very hard time about. (laughs) Let's, Let's get into... Into the first reaction first. Okay. Your first reaction to this news. Uh, my my reaction was very similar to Brock's. Is 
Mike Hopkins is a guy that just screams as a candidate that would be a perfect guy for one of these flagship programs. And what I mean by that is the traditional powerhouses like a Syracuse, a UCLA, uh, Arizona, uh, Duke, uh, you know, Kansas, yeah. all you know, all those kinds of schools. Strong programs. With, strong, with strong programs histories. with great financial backing that are all in. And uh, Mike Hopkins is a guy that has a clear plan in place. He knows exactly who he is and his philosophy in terms of how to get it done. Um, and the other thing is, is his approach, uh, both just as a coach and as a mentor to players, he is able to connect with them uh, it really easily. And, and that's a tough thing to do. And second thing, he's able to connect with the fan base and the community, uh, the way he is in, um, you know, media, uh, standpoint, the way he is interacting with the fans, it's incredible. And that's a guy that you want leading your program. So he has all the makings to be one of college basketball's great head coaches down the line. And, and the two, Lock him up in a new six-year deal is pretty incredible. I mean, Stacy, when he came in uh, with Lorenzo Romar, it was just tired. It was tired out. The program had kind of fallen out. There was great talent that would come in, but nothing to really show for it. And the things that you heard behind the scenes about the environment, the culture that was in that in that program wasn't good. It under wasn't, Romar, yeah, under Romar, it wasn't promising. And you know. He, you know, that last season under Romar, they went nine and twenty-two overall, two mm-hmm. and sixteen in the Pac-12. It was Rough. embarrassing, right? Rough. And they they bring in Hopkins, and he immediately turns things around. You know, first season twenty-one and thirteen, second round the NIT, right? They start finally developing culture and have an identity. Mm-hmm. In the second season, they keep building off of that, and guys that you weren't sure the type of players that they were going to be, they all of a sudden start stepping up and be and uh, performing at an at a level that we didn't expect. And it's all because of a program, and they were able to go twenty six and eight, and getting into the Pac twelve tourney at a nine seed. I mean, that's incredible. That's a quick turnaround um, from essentially being at the bottom and now going to the top and being the Pac twelve coach of the year for you know two consecutive years. Uh, I, this deal was very deserving, and and Mike Hopkins' original deal actually had him ninth uh, amongst all Pac twelve. Coaches really? in college basketball. I didn't know that. Yes, and and so now you get a deal that is much more fitting for his for his role and and how he is able to you know change this this program around and to solidify and keep him. You know what's so interesting is I'm getting a little off topic, but I remember reading an article a while ago about the state of the Pac-12, the athletic directors. It was when Jen Cohen was first hired, so I don't know if this is still the case. Yeah, I think you can attribute. A lot of the, I mean, as athletic director, rightly so, a lot of the recent success that UW has had in rebuilding uh, and almost rebranding these programs. Obviously, UW football um, has had a history as a prestigious program, but certainly saw a downturn. Mm -hmm. I was a student during the 2008 season, went to every home game. It was rough. Still want my money back. (laughs) I was a broke college student. Saw a winless season. But it's fine. But um, but it certainly had that strong history. Uh, Chris Peterson obviously helped rebuild that. On the college hoop side of things, with Mike Hopkins coming in, one of Jen Cohen's best moves so far uh, to also rebuild that program, it's turning UW into something we haven't seen in a while, which is the ability to be a powerhouse, at least in its own conference, at least in the Pac-12, in both major men's sports. Yes. Uh, both of your big money-making sports, um, they had uh, a tweet that uh, was from just kind of like a general revenue 
kind of tracking thing that had the the incoming, like basically your incoming revenue for those. UW, it actually surprised me because I would anticipate that it would be a program maybe like USC, mm-hmm. um, yeah. even, a, even a Stanford. UW sat atop the Pac-12 uh, in in earnings and was second only to I think Oregon and just pure profit that's, and revenue that's pretty incredible and and it's an amazing turnaround um, and it's just so interesting that Mike Hopkins was was brought in initially nowhere near the top of that list and and it got like initial value or contract right likewise Jen Cohen nowhere near the top of the list in athletic directors but they've both been able to do so much well Jen Cohen to me she has turned this thing around in a huge way and she's been a breath of fresh air mm-hmm. and a huge boost to the University of Washington and when you talk about fire Larry Scott in terms of Pac-12 commissioner one of my initial thoughts is I would want Jen Cohen to be the Pac-12 commissioner. That would be fascinating. I think that she's done such an incredible job. And she ha- And when you talk about things like this, it's because she has great passion for the university. She cares, mm-hmm. right? She cares. And you can see that. And so that's why I think not only has she been able to kill it in terms of the hirings and making the right moves, but she's been able to have such a great program because she's so dialed into what um, – the boosters want what what the fit is going to be between personality and university, and that's why I think she would make a great Pac-12 commissioner because she gets it. She understands and would be motivated to make it work and connect to the fans and connect and make the conference as great as it could be. The other thing about Mike Hopkins, and this goes back to Jen Cohen identifying the right people, is one of my big concerns so far uh, before this deal was is that is Mike Hopkins using the University of Washington to get the next big gig? Which you is s- a fair concern because I think people saw that with Steve Sarkeesian when he came in here for University of Washington football. Right. Left shortly before a bowl game to take a job with USC. Correct. And and for Mike Hopkins, I mean, you were the heir apparent for Syracuse and Jim mm-hmm. Beheim just wouldn't leave. He wouldn't get yeah. out the door. Yeah, no. Right? And, and so you had to take your other opportunity. So he was going to be... That guy taking over one of the premier programs in concern. all of college basketball. Yeah. So now you go to the University of Washington. Uh, he is a West Coast guy, though. Um, and, you know, is he able to resurrect a program and then take his resume and, and go somewhere else with it? And the one thing that I loved uh, that he said, and, and I wouldn't blame him for it, right? Uh, not at all. And I don't think it would be disingenuous of him in, in the least bit. But the one thing that I love in, in a quote that he said, Uh, in a statement that he made after uh, signing his new deal is he said, I've always said people, place, potential matter. And the University of Washington is exactly where I want to be. And I think that that statement holds true, is is powerful because I think it's also something that Chris Peterson recognized. And even when Steve Sarkeesian got here, Pete Carroll, they knew that this market was incredible, Mm -hmm. but they didn't really fully get it until they got here. Uh, the people aren't incredible. When you have in, in the potential of this place, it's a big market. Um, and if you can get the people to buy into what you're doing, the fan base, uh, the, the sky's the limit in terms of the support that you will get. Um, and the place, this place is beautiful. It's an incredible place to live. It's an incredible place to li- to raise a family. And, you know, these coaches, again, time and time, when they come in to the Pacific Northwest, in particular the state of Washington, they're blown away by it. And so, to me, signing Mike Hopkins to a new six-year deal 
is a huge feat and an incredible accomplishment for Jen Cohen, the University of Washington, not just now, but for years to come. And I'm so eager to see with this program, just as someone who not only went to school in the Pac-12, but who now we all regularly cover Pac-12 sports, to see some some downturn with different programs. Now certain programs, especially locally, being on the upswing, it makes it fascinating. It makes it more yeah. interesting, not just to watch and cover games, but to see how the conference as a whole is changing and that culture just on the West Coast in general with how we embrace college sports is changing. No doubt. Don't forget, you can listen to our show via the 710 Sports app, driven by your Puget Sound Acura dealers. Coming up next, we've got four down territory. We're going to break down four big football questions of the day with Jake Heaps. That's next on Seattle Sports at Night. This is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Seattle Sports at Night. Stacey Rost here with Jake Heaps. I've got some good questions today. Do you? You got to dial that? I'm excited for them. We're going to get into uh, pretty much another like 30 minutes of just pure Seahawks, pure NFL talk going all over the board. Oh. Seahawks questions, NFL questions, Russell Wilson questions. <laughs> I'm excited. Uh, right now, we are going to get into forward down territory happens every single uh, show at 745. We ask four questions for Jake Heaps, and here we go. Number one. Today marks five weeks until the start of the NFL draft. Isn't that insane? That is crazy. I don't know where this year is going. Are the Seahawks going to wait until then to take a defensive end? I am more and more convinced that this is the strategy that the Seahawks are going to take, uh, especially after today learning that Vinny Curry, uh, former Tampa Bay Buccaneer and Philadelphia Eagle, is re-signing with the Eagles uh, on a one-year $2.25 million wow. deal, right? Super cheap yeah. and with another $1.25 million more in incentives. And again, Vinny Curry had a downturn in his production with the Tampa Bay Bucks, but uh, a year removed from that had one of his career highs with the Philadelphia Eagles in terms of getting pressures on the quarterback. And if there's a guy that was intriguing to me that I thought could have potentially been a really nice value deal, it was going to be Vinny Curry. Mm -hmm. And the fact that the Seahawks didn't take advantage of or even throw their hat in the ring. So the on, thought is that they could have afforded him at that price. Yeah, they absolutely yeah. could have afforded Vinny Curry at that price. There's there's no doubt about it. And and that would have been a, a interesting, intriguing addition uh, to the Seahawks. And so I think that now, I think they're going to sit on their heels. Maybe they're going to throw their hat in the ring on, on, on a... You know, a Justin Houston, Houston or a Ziggy Ansah, but mm-hmm. I, I really firmly believe that they are going to wait to the draft to find one of these talented edge rushers that maybe slips through the cracks. And this is one of the deepest classes yes. they've had with that talent, right? Yes, it is. And so when you talk about trusting the Seahawks and trusting their, their ability to evaluate talent, I think this is where you have to, you know, really trust that organization, trust the scouts that they are going to be able to identify one of those top guys. Number two. What is your biggest concern in the Seahawks secondary? I would say that my biggest concern is the safety position. And the reason why I say that is because you have to figure out what you're going to do. Uh, Right now we saw last year was an interesting development Bradley McDougald is a Swiss Army knife. He can play strong safety, he can play free safety, and he can do both at an extremely high level. However, he is more comfortable and in his best spot at strong safety. Uh, And so 
Tedrick Thompson then would you would make you believe that he would be that next guy playing that free safety position that he played most of the year and did it it did a decent job at uh, he didn't play terrible he didn't do anything bad but he he played it very hesitantly he was going to do his assignment play his role and and he wasn't very instinctive. Do you feel like he um, wasn't reading? I think one of the praises I always hear about Earl Thomas is being able to read the quarterback, being able to dissect things easily, and then take that risk, which you can take if you're just also incredibly fast. Exactly. Can react. Yes. Is the thought then there that he maybe wasn't as? Yeah, he wasn't as instinctive. He wasn't. Yeah. Tr- he wasn't trusting what he was seeing, and and so he didn't have the same coverage or range yeah. that Earl. Obviously, obviously, that's going to be extremely hard when Earl is one of the best to ever do right. it at that position. But Tedrick just simply wasn't instinctive and trusting his eyes. Maybe that changes it, you know, going after his yeah. second year, you know, getting significant playing time. But Delano Hill started playing strong safety towards the end of the year and actually was playing pretty well to the point where the coaches really, really liked what they saw and were actually leaning towards playing Delano Hill at strong safety and moving Bradley McDougal to free safety permanently for that last part of the year. So there's going to be a lot of interesting, you know, playing around from the Seattle Seahawks perspective and trying to figure out what is the best move at that safety position in the secondary. That was one of the more interesting moves for me last year is uh, obviously Tedrick Thompson was out. He had a rib injury and then was dealing with, I think, an ankle injury. Like you said, Delano Hill came in, was filling in strong safety with Bradley McDougal at free safety. McDougal, like you said, Swiss Army knife, very versatile defensive back, but his preference has been strong safety. Yes. And, uh, you know, as much as... Pete Carroll and that team values player voice. I don't think he'd be starting at strong safety if they didn't agree that that he was potentially even better there or could maybe just reach his fullest potential specifically at strong safety. Obviously, they value him at both positions and have started him at both positions. But uh, but to kind of to kind of be willing to pit him at free safety and and swap uh, Delano Hill as a starting strong safety made it so interesting. It made yeah. you question uh, maybe the comfort level there, and you wonder what would have happened had Delano Hill not landed on IR shortly after that it, press conference. It certainly does, Stacey. And I, like I said, I firmly believe that if Delano Hill doesn't get injured, I think Tedrick Thompson doesn't come back in, right away into a starting role. I believe Delano Hill plays strong safety, and Bradley McDougal plays free safety from that point on. Number three. You've been advocating for a multi-year deal done for defensive end Frank Clark. Do you still feel that way? Yeah, it's uh, it, I have been, and I have really felt that way uh, for a long time. I, I feel like Frank has earned it. He's deserved it. The fact that you have one of the premier pass rushers in the National Football League uh, is a rare commodity to have, and, and so... Uh, and he's only getting better. Like that's the thing is is Earl's still young. He's getting better, so that's why I feel comfortable giving him a multi year deal. But when you really sit back and think about this, what is the best thing for the Seahawks and in their future? You know that they're going to pay big money to Russell. They're probably going to pay big money to Bobby Wagner. Right. And what is the best long term move? And you know there was an interview done by Macarafalo that w- that we will get into. Uh, saying that Frank Clark absolutely would uh, give us a first-rounder and a high first-rounder in return. And with that being said, with how deep this defensive line class and is... And with four picks. And, yeah, and with four picks, those come at a high commodity for the Seahawks. So it, it dev- definitely gives you pause if you're you know sitting here thinking like I have been about a multi-year deal. 
I think that you have to really consider the possibility of trading him if you can get a high first-round pick. And they have until July, correct, to figure out whether or not they want that long-term deal? They do, but also you're you're having to deal with the headache of of Frank Clark in terms of him not being around. It's not that he's being an off-the-field distraction. He just simply isn't there. Right. And the other part of, Stacey, this is why I've been advocating do not wait because D. Ford... His his contract situation just set the market for Frank, Jadavian Clowney, De, uh, DeMar- uh, Demarcus Lawrence in the sense that now those guys are wanting to get paid $20, per year instead of the 17.5 that Frank is going to get on his franchise tax. So that's a significant difference in money, which makes you think about trading possibilities. Number four. Jake, are you concerned about Doug Baldwin after learning about him needing additional surgeries this without, season? With, without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah, this absolutely is concerning to me uh, for a couple of reasons. One, uh, Doug already came off of two surgeries uh, right after the season. Now needing additional surgery. We don't know the extent of the recovery time and all those things. But uh, if he is this torn up with his body and, and this hurt, uh, for him to come back this season really puts in question and in doubt in my mind because Doug has so much to give in life after football, and Doug's not one of those guys that's just this is all he has and this is the only thing that he sees himself doing is being a football player. Uh, Doug is not going to prolong his career trying to stretch it out and play on his last legs um, until the very end. Doug wants to play at an extremely high level. He wants to be one of the top receivers in the NFL every single year. And if he can't do that, he'll simply walk away from the game, Stacey. He, he, he absolutely will. And so this leads me to believe that he is very much considering retirement. And, it, you know, how much is it between retirement and playing this year? I don't know. So the Seahawks absolutely have to plan for the future, plan with, uh, with life without Doug Baldwin. Uh, I, I believe that he's going to play this year uh, ultimately, but you have to wonder what's going to happen. Does his body break down again during the season? Is he able to come back healthy? Uh, you have to start planning in, in that direction. So if you play John Schneider for a day, how do you move forward at wide receiver when it comes to planning for the future? If Doug Baldwin comes back this year, even if you've got him, even if he's back as your number one receiver, do you go draft? Do you do you go uh, undrafted rookies, try to get some budget picks? Do you yeah. sign some latent free agency? What's your first move if you're GM? My first move, if I'm GM, I, I have to understand the cap, first of all. Right. right right now, actually, it came out that they have 15, a little bit above $15 million left in their cap room for this yeah. year. So there's not a whole lot of wiggle room for them to you know, make some big splash signings. So a Jordy Nelson that, that has popped up for the last two days for us um, on the show is, what are what can you get for him? Can you get him on a, on a veteran minimum deal? Or is he going to want $3, 4000000 million? And if he wants $3, 4000000 million, then you're probably not going to be able to get it done. Right. Uh, so my thought process is that you're going to have to find somebody in the draft. You're going to have to find them in the middle rounds. Find somebody that you really think is a guy that can be a difference maker for you for years to come. It'll certainly be interesting to see what they do there. I it's It's been a while. Amara Darbo is the last wide receiver I think that they drafted, right? Yes, that's yeah. correct. It wasn't and, a good thing. It didn't pan out very well for them. Uh, and so that makes you nervous. But, um, you know, with Doug Baldwin, with this injury concern, receiver hasn't been a big priority. And, again, it's not the biggest, but it certainly has risen to the top now that we start hearing these injury concerns. Yeah, I'm not envious of uh, at all. 
of John Schneider's position. I would. It's it's not easy. Not some easy tough decisions at to all. make. And I feel for Doug, man. Doug, yeah. Doug is a warrior. He wants to play. He wants to be out there. It's just whether or not he can continue to keep beating his body up like it like it has been the last year. No, it's a huge sacrifice to just to be an NFL player in general. Um, all right, coming up next, we're going to stick with the NFL. We're going to talk about some of the best and worst ways the NFL is changing. I can already think of the best just from some news this morning about Bruce Arians, oh, but yeah. it'll be interesting to dive into the worst. <laughs> I want to hear what you got to say. All right, let's That's do it. That's coming up next on Seattle Sports at Night.